Shas Illuminated presents the following shir by Rabbi Moshe Dun Kestenbaum. Meseches Ksubis has been dedicated by Mr. and Mrs. Shlomo Naiman, Le'ilo Nishmas, Rav Yaakov ben Matis Yehozatzal, and Chaya Bas Pesach. Be'ezus Hashem, we will begin the 13th parak of Ksubis. We will begin from the bottom of Kuf Dalad on the base. The Mishnah says, Shnei Dayanik Zeres Hayu Rishalayim, two judges of decrees were in Yishalayim, Admain Vichanan ben Avishalayim. Taisus over here discusses the name Avishalayim. In some Girsais of the Mishnah, they have the Girsa Avshalayim. And Rabbeinu Tam says that this cannot be the proper Girsa of the Mishnah, Chanan ben Avshalayim. Because Avshalom, as we know, was a Rasha, David HaMelech's son, who rebelled against him. And the Gemara tells us in Yuma, on Daflam and Chesam and bringing the Pasuk in Mishlei, in Perak Yud, Pasuk Zion, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. The mention of a Tzadik is for a Bracha. However, Vishayim Rishayim Yerkav, the name of Rishayim Yerkav, should rot. Rashi explains over there in Mesech Yuma that just like a metal, if it's left for a while, it begins to become rusty. The name of Risham should rot. The name of Risham should not be used. They should be untouched. So Taisus is bothered by if the name of the Mishnah is in the Mishnah is Avshalim, that cannot be because Shem Risham Yerkav. So it must be, Rabbeinu Tam says, that the girsa is not Avshalayim, but Avishalayim. And Taisus says that the name Avishalayim is a name that we find in Tanakh, as the Psukim tell us in Malachim Aleph, Parak Tesvav, that Rechavam's son, Aviyam, became the king after him. And Aviyam, Aviyam's mother, her name was Macha. Bas Avishalom. So Rechavam's wife, her name was Macha, the daughter Avishalom, and she had a child named Aviyam, who became the became the king. It is fascinating to note, as the Hafla points out, that in Divrei Yamim Beis, Parakid Aleph, Pasuk Chaf Aleph, this Macha that Rechava married, is called Macha Bas Avshalim. Over there in Divrei Yamim, it doesn't call her father Avishalom, it rather calls her father Avshalom. And the Afla says that we see from here that the two names are connected, and Avishalom is really a variation of Avshalom. And he says that that's Tafka, they, they purposely changed the name Tavishalim in order to not to use the name Avshalim because of this Gemara and Yuma of Vishem Rishayim Yerkav. The Pnei Yeshua over here argues with Taisvis and says there's no reason to have to change the Girsa to Avishalim. It's very possible that his name was Avshalim because Who's to say, Zakta Pnei Yeshua, that there was never a person named Avshalim before the time of the famous Avshalom, 
David HaMelech's son. There may have been another Avshalim before then that was a tzaddik. And in that case, there's no problem of using the name. For example, let's take the name Menashe. Menashe was the first Menashe that we know of was a great tzaddik. Yosef's child, Ephraim and Menashe. Yet, later on, we have the famous evil king, Menashe. And there's nothing wrong with using the name Menashe. Because it's only a problem if the first person with this name is a Russia. So, Frek the Pnei Yeshua, who's to say that there was no Avshalim before the times of the famous Avshalim? And the Pnei Yeshua takes it further that Tysus himself, later on in Tysus, is Mavur this way. Because Tysus says, in discussing the name Shavna, Tysus says that maybe you would say that there were two Shavnas, and therefore it's not going to be a problem of using the name Shavna. So we see from Tysus that if there would be two Shavnas, and there was a Shavna that was earlier on that was not a Rasha, then it would not be a problem to use the name. So Pnei Yeshua says, argues with Tysus, that there's no reason to change the girsa to Avishalai. The Shaila is, of course, what is the Pshat in Taisvis? Taisvis himself has to agree to the Svara of the Pnei Yeshua. So then, what's Taisvis Kasha? Who said there was no Avshalaim before the times of the famous Avshalaim, who was a Rasha? Comes the Afla and says a beautiful Pshat. The Afla says that even if there was a name of Shalim beforehand of a person that was a tzaddik, it wouldn't make a difference. The Afla says the criteria of whether one is allowed to use the name of a Rasha or not depends on what the Afla terms, whether it's a shame pili, whether it's an unusual name. When a person hears the name of Shalim nowadays, of Shalim's an unusual name, and a person thinks of David HaMelech's son, Avshalom the Rasha. We don't know. We never heard of any Avshalom before that. So even if there was such an Avshalom, the name Avshalom connects us, brings us to think of the Avshalom the Rasha. And there we would have the Alacha of Shem Risham Yerkov, that one should not use such a name, as opposed to a name like Benasha, which is a common name, a name that doesn't necessarily refer, allude, to the Menasha that was a Russia, then it would not be a problem. And it's interesting, the Sefer Afla brings this concept of unusual name from Allah and Shulchan Arach in Yeridea, Reishman Bey's Tesvav. The Shulchan Arach writes over there that it's also for a Talmud to call his Rebbe by his name, not in his lifetime, not after his death. And even to call other people that have the same name as his Rebbe, it's Aser, Im Hu Shem if it's an unusual name, She'ena Kol Regil that other people are not usually called by their name. So if somebody's Rebbe has an unusual name, his name is, let's say, Avi Shalim, unusual name nowadays, so one would not be allowed to call his friend, who also happens to be Avi Shalim, he wouldn't be able to call him by that name. Because that's the name of his Rebbe. However, if let's say his Rebbe's name was David, Moshe is a common name, so then one would be allowed to call his friend 
by that name because that name doesn't allude in any way to the name of his Rebbe because it's a common it's a common name. So same thing over here, Zakta Afla, that if it's an unusual name and the name of a Russia that we're familiar with by that name, then it would be Asr. But a common name and it would not be an allusion in any way to the name of a Russia who also happened to have that name, then it would not be a problem. The Mishnah continues, Chanan Aymer Shnei Dvarim, Chanan said two things, Rashi says, two things, Shalai Cham that the Cham did not agree to him about, Admain Aymer Shiva, Admain said seven things, which again the Chachamim did not agree to, and now the Mishnah says the first of the things that Hanan said. Somebody that went to a faraway place, and his wife is demanding she wants food. So she wants Bezdin to provide food for her, to sell, let's say, her husband's land in order to provide for her food. Chanan Amar Tishba Besaif Beloi Tishba Betchila. Chanan says she has to swear in the end, but she does not have to swear in the beginning. Nechlekul Allah Bnei Kohanim Gedolim. The Bnei Kohanim Gedolim argued, Va'amru, and they said Tishba Betchila Uvesaif. She has to swear in the beginning and the end. We understand what Tchila means. Tchila means in the beginning. Right now, when she's coming asking for mezainas, she's coming asking for food. The question is, what does it mean, besaif? What does it mean in the end? So Rashi explains on top of Kufayim and Aleph, Rashi explains, when they hear that he died, that her husband died, and she comes and collects her ksuba. In order to collect her ksuba, she has to swear that she did not take anything from her husband. We could understand that she took something secretly, and the money she took secretly would take over the place of the of the ksuba. It would cancel out the money that her husband would owe her from the ksuba. However, the shita brings that the concern is more specifically that the husband gave her what's called in the Gemara Tzrari, tied up money, a bundle of money, that perhaps her husband, before he died, gave her money that she should be able to collect her ksuba from. So before she can collect her ksuba, she has to swear that she did not, she does not have anything else from her husband that would compensate for the ksuba her husband did not give her Tzrari. It's important to point out that the halacha of mezainais, the halacha that a lady gets fed, is not only when a lady's husband is alive, like we've learned earlier in the Masechta, after a lady's husband dies, she continues to get fed from her husband until the time that she collects her, her ksuba. Until the time she comes to collect her ksuba, she also gets mezainais from her husband's estate. So Rashi over here that says that Tishva Besaif, that she swears in the end, after her husband dies, and she comes to collect her ksuba, so we see from Rashi, clearly, 
that it's only at the point that she comes and collects her ksuba. However, if she does not come to collect her ksuba, she is just continuing to eat mezainais from her husband's estate after his death. In such a case, she would still not require a shavua. Only when she comes to collect her ksuba does she require the shavua. How do we understand this? What's the reason why she only requires a shvua at the end, which Rashi learns when she comes to collect her ksuba, and not in the beginning, which according to Rashi means when she is collecting her mezainais, both while her husband's alive and after her husband passes away. So one explanation is found, we see from Taisus and Gittin, Andaf, Nanalef, Amaralef, Dibra, Maschal, Amar, Taisus is mashma that he understands that the difference between ksuba and mezainais is as follows. We mentioned before that our concern over here is that the husband may have given her tsrari, the husband may have given her money to collect her ksuba from before he passed away. So Taisus understands the chshash of tsrari is more likely, is more common for ksuba than for mezainais. It's more the derech, it's more the, the normal way that a husband may give his wife money to be able to collect the ksuba from after his death. Then it's common for a husband to give his wife money to be able to collect her mezainais from. And that's the way Taisus understands in Gin, Andaf, Nan Aleph, Amar According to this understanding of Taisus, the difference in our Mishnah is a difference between Mizainais and Ksuba. It's not a difference of a time period. It's a difference, a practical difference between Mizainais and Ksuba. However, Rashi has brought in the Shita, and this is the Pashtas really of Rashi in the Mishnah, is that this is not a din in Ksuba versus Mizainais. Rather, this is a din in a time period. Meaning, that according to Rashi, when the lady comes at the end to collect her ksuba after her husband passed away, the chiv shvua over there that she has to swear is not only on the ksuba. She also has to swear that she did not get anything for her mezainis as well. This is brought in the shita from Rashi Madurakama that she would not. She would have to swear that she did not get anything for her mezainis as well. What's the difference? Why only at the time she comes to collect ksuba she has to swear that she did not receive anything from her husband for mezainis as well? However, earlier, if she's just collecting her mezainis, then she does not have to swear. If we're afraid that her husband may have given her money for mezainis, so why doesn't she have to swear even? while her husband is alive, when he's in Medina Sayyam, or after his death, before she comes to collect her ksuba. So the Shita brings a svara from Rabbeinu Yaina, The Shita brings from Rabbeinu Yaina, that when the Chachamim were misaki the Shvua on a lady, they were only misaki the Shvua at the time, that she's leaving her husband's rishas. When a lady comes and collects her ksuba, that's when she's separating herself from her husband's rishas. 
as long as she's collecting mezainais, she's still in her husband's rishos, even after he passed away, she's still considered in her husband's rishos, she's living off her husband's estate. So the Chachamim were not Mesach Neshua then, they were only Mesach Neshua at the time that she's leaving from her husband for good, she's leaving her husband. The Pashtas, the Kavanah of Rabbeinu Yaina, someone is Ma'ayin over there, is Rabbeinu Yaina is saying that the Chachamim did not want to obligate the lady to have to swear more than once. And since ultimately she's going to come and collect her Ksuba, so the Chachamim did not obligate her to swear Betchila in the beginning when she's collecting her Mezainais, they waited to the point of the end when she collects her Ksuba, when she's going to permanently be leaving her husband. At that point, before we'll give her her Ksuba, we make her swear that she never took anything that she wasn't allowed to from her husband for Mizainais as well. That's the Pashtas of Rabbeinu Yaina. The Chsam Seifer on Davkav Zayin on his own understands as well the Mishnah to be this way. That the Mishnah is saying, Tishba b'saif v'lay tishba b'tchila. She swears in the end. In the end, when she's ready to leave her husband, when she's coming to collect her ksuba, then she has to swear that she never took anything from her husband for ksuba or for mezainis as well. V'lay tishba b'tchila. We don't make her swear in the beginning. We rely on the shvua in the end. This fits very well. This pshat fits very well in the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah said that our husband went away to Medina Sayyam and his wife is demanding Mizainais. So Hanan says, Tishra Besaif. She swears in the end in regards to what she took for her Mizainais. The light Tishra Betchila, but she does not have to swear in the beginning to collect her Mizainais. However, according to the Pshat we brought from Taisvis in Gitin, that it's not about a time period. It's about the ksuba were chayshish for tzrari, mezainais were not chayshish for tzrari. So then we have to explain the Mishnah. It's not about time. The Mishnah just means tishma b'saif. She swears at the end for her ksuba, but it's not going anything to do with mezainais. The light tishma b'tchila, but she does not have to swear in the beginning. She does not have to swear for mezainais. According to this mahalech of Rashi, with the Chsam Seifer, Rabbeinu Yaina, it could come out a Chiddush Lahalacha. Because if we understand the Mishnah of Tishba B'Saif, Tishba B'Tchila, that the reason why she does not have to swear in the beginning is because we rely on the fact that Tishba B'Saif, we rely on her Shvua at the end before she comes and collects her Ksuba. It could possibly come out that in a case where she would not swear in the end, for example, Achrayim discuss. Let's say the husband told her that he believes her the The husband absolved her from ever having to swear to before she collects her ksuba. So in such a case where she's not swearing in the end on the ksuba, it could come out possibly lahalacha that she would have to swear betchila. She would have to swear in collection of her mizaynis because you don't have the tishra b'saif to rely upon. It's Kedai to point out that Rabbi Kiva Eger, a Mishnayis, brings from the Marit 
differently against this vart, against this idea. Because the Mishnah says in the end, Amr Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, Yafar Amr Hanan, Hanan saying very, very good, Laisishba Ella Libesaif. She only has to swear in the end. So the Marit is Medayik. Why does, why does Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai have to repeat what Hanan said? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai just should have said, Yafar Amr Hanan. Hanan said very good. We know what Hanan said, we just learned it in our Mishnah. Why does he repeat, Yafa Amar Hanan Sishba Elabisaif, Zaktamarit, that Rabbi Yechem and Zakai is coming la fuke, is coming to exclude the way we just explained. Rabbi Yechem and Zakai is saying, Sishba Elabisaif, that not only, that she only swears in the end, she only swears in collection of her ksuba, and she does not swear to collect her mezainais, even in a case where she was absolved from her shvua on the ksuba. She never swears on the mezainais. So it will come out that this marit would be against the way we're learning Rashi based on Rabbi Yain and the Shita. However, it's not so pasha. We may still be able to learn the marit according to this mahalich in Rashi. Because the chsam cipher over there Brings the Gemara in Gitin on Daf Lamed Hay, which we're not going to be Marech in right now. But the Gemara in Gitin on Daf Lamed Hay, the Rishayim bring a Raya from there that a lady is able to collect her Mizainais even where she did not swear when she was collecting her Ksuba. And the Chsam Sefer asks, How does it fit with our Mishnah? Our Mishnah is Mashma that only because she's swearing in the end. She is able to collect her mezainais without a shvua. And the Chsam Seifer wants to say that even though it's true that the reason why she does not have to swear on mezainais is because we rely on the fact of Tishba Besaif. However, once that Takana is in place, once that Takana is in place that the Chalim did not obligate a lady to swear when she collects her mezainais, it's possible that even in a case where she will not end up swearing for Ksuba, she still would be able to collect her Mezainais without a Shvua, because the Takana would not change, even in a case where she does not end up swearing for Ksuba Lubisayf. Thus far we have said, Tup Shatim in the Mishnah, of what it means Tishva Besayf, like Tishva Betchila, Taisis is Pshat, that Tishva Besayf, that Lagabi the Ksuba, were Chayshish for Tzrari, we have the Mahalech, the second shot we gave is based on Rashi from the Shita that they only were Machayev to swear for the Mezainais Besaif, meaning at the time she comes to leave her husband, at the time she comes to collect her Ksuba, at that point they were Machayev to swear that she never took for her Mezainais illegally. But they did not obligate her to swear until that point. They did not obligate her to swear. And finally, there's one other Mahalech in the Mishnah, and that is the Mahalech of the Rambam in Pirish of Mishnayis. And the Rambam has a very simple pshat. Tishba b'saif, she swears in the end, means that if the husband comes back and he says that he has already given her money for Mizainais, and therefore she had no right 
to sell his property, sell his possessions, to take mezainais. At that point, tishba, she has to swear, but until the husband contradicts her, she does not have a chiyav, she does not have a chiyav shvua. It's kedai to point out that this Rambam will go l'shitasai, and Rashi will go l'shitasai. Because the Gemara, later on, on Kavzayin and Aleph, brings this halacha of the husband coming back from Medina Sayyam and saying, Pasakti la mezainais, that he already had given her mezainais. And the Gemara says, Naman, he is going to be believed. And the Ramam learns, as the Ramam paskins in Hilchas Isha's Parak Yudbeis, Halacha Chafalef, that the husbands believe to obligate her in a shvua, that she now has to swear and deny the husband's claim that he had already given her money for Mizainais. However, Rashi over there on Kav Zayin learns a chidosh, that Rashi learns that if the husband says he had already given her money for Mizainais, he is believed to take away that which Bezdin already had given her. That he's neman to be mighty from her, the money that Bezdin had given her for Mizainais. So Rashi cannot learn over here like the Rambam, that Tishba Besaif, that she swears if the husband comes and is machisher and argues and says that he had given her money already, because according to Rashi, in such a case, there would not be a chi of a shvua on her. Adarabah, the husband, would be believed to take back the money that Bezin had given her. Going further, halfway down, Kufhei Amin Aleph, the Gemara says, Amr of Yudam Ravasi, Geizre Gezeru Shebi Yushalayim, those that were Geizer decrees in Yushalayim, Hayanaitlan Scharan, Tishim, Vitesha Mana, Michuma Salishka, they took their Schar from the Chuma Salishka. And afterwards, the Gemara brings Karna, who was a Dayan, who was a judge, he would take an Istara from both parties. And he would judge them. And the Gemara asks, how could Karna take money for judging them? You have an issue of you have an issue of taking a bribe. And the Gemara says, maybe he'll tell me a bribe is only usher from one person, but if you take from both parties, it would not be considered Shaykhat, because that's not going to influence the person to judge in one person's favor since he is taking from both of them, the Gemara says, no, it's Aser, Shaykhat is Aser, even when one takes from both of them, and the Gemara proves it from a Brisa. And the Brisa reads as follows, the Brisa says, what does B'Shaykhat Laisikach teach us? If it comes to teach us not to alter the judgment to make the guilty person innocent and the innocent person guilty, the Pasuk already says, The Torah tells us already that one is not allowed to alter judge justice. So it must be, that the Pasuk of that the Isra of taking a bribe applies even when one's intention is where the person's intention is not to alter justice in any way. His intention is to give a fair judgment to both sides. And the Gemara proves from this b'risa 
that the Isra of Shaykhar applies even when one takes money from both of them. And the Marsha asks an obvious question on this Gemara. How do we see from this Brisa that the Isra Shaykhar applies when one takes money from both of them? Maybe the Brisa is only talking about where one takes money, where the judge takes money from one of them. And the Brisa means as follows. The Brisa is telling us, don't think that Shaykhad is only Asr if one's intention is to alter the judgment in favor of the person he took the bribe from. Because that would be Asr anyways because of Laisat Mishpat. You're changing the proper judgment from the truth. The Torah tells us that even where one's intention is to give a fair judgment, still it's going to be Asr. But maybe that's only where one took the money from one party. Then there's an Isra of bribery because ultimately, as the Gemara says later, taking the money has an influence on, on the judge. However, we could easily say that the Bryce is only talking about where you're taking money from one person because there it's going to alter the just judgment in that person's favor. But if the person's taking the same amount of money from both parties, where there is no reason to favor one over the other, there maybe there is no Isser of Shaykhar altogether. So how are we able to prove from the Brisa that the Isser Shaykhar applies even when one takes money from both of them? The Pnei Yeshua gives a beautiful Teretz, and he explains that when the Brisa says, if the Pasuk of Vesheich is coming to teach us a case where the person intends to alter justice, he intends to make the guilty person innocent because of his bribe, that you already can learn out from Laisat and Mishbat, the Brisa cannot mean literally that the judge intends to alter the judgment. That you don't even need a pasuk of Laisata Mishpat for. That is Stam, the Risham. The person is a Russia. He doesn't plan to judge the case altogether. He's just basing the case. He's basing his judgment. He's going to judge the person favorably because of the bribe. That's a Russia. That's not even a judge altogether. So when the Bryce says that if it's coming to teach us for a case where the person is going to alter the justice and he's going to make the innocent person guilty and the guilty person innocent the Brisa does not mean the Brisa does not mean that it was intentional that that was the plan of the judge the Brisa means a typical case of Shaykhat where one took money from one of them and his intention is to give a fair judgment but the Brisa is saying that since it's impossible that a person's going to give a fair judgment since he's under the influence of the bribe, so that's already a violation of Laisata Mishpat. So you don't need a Pasuk of Vishaycha Laisikach. Comes Vishaycha Laisikach, even in a case where there is no influence for one party over the other, Hainu a case where the person took money from both of them, and there the Torah is teaching us, even in that case, it is a violation of the Shaykh al So we learn from this Gemara an important halacha 
that Shaykhan applies even where one is taking money and the same amount of money from both parties. And the question is, though, why? Why does the Torah Asr Shaykhan even when one is taking money from both of them? So the Pnei Yeshua Teich Devarav writes that we're afraid, the Torah is afraid, that the person will come to take Shaykhan even from one of them by themselves. That if, if the Torah would allow one to take money from both of them, a person another time will end up taking money only from one of them. That's the way the Pnei Yeshua says. This seems to be along the lines of the Drisha in Chayshem Mishpat, beginning of Simon Tess, where the Drisha writes, Shalai Tachlaik Ben Shaychat The Torah does not differentiate between different types of Shaychat, which sounds like from the Drisha that really in Svara and logic, there would be no issue of taking a Shaychat from both of them. But the Torah does not differentiate perhaps along the lines of the Pnei Yeshua, that ultimately a person will end up taking a shaykhat from only one party. However, the Me'iri over here on Ahmed Beis, Kofi Ahmed Beis, and the Hafla on his own over here, gives a svara, gives a logic, that taking money from both of them will actually impact the justice of the case. And they both say, that since the person, since the judge is taking money from both of them, he is going, he's going to want both parties to come out okay. He's not going to want to make it that one party wins completely and the other party loses completely. And he's going to make a pshara. He's going to compromise. He's going to try to find a way where both parties are somewhat at least happy because of the money that he received. Perhaps... We can offer another pshat in why Shaykhat is Asr even when one takes money from both of them. The Gemara says on Ahmed Beis, Rava says, why is it called Shaykhat? Shaykhat is a lashon of Shehuchat, that he is like one. Because when a person takes money from somebody else, he becomes closer to him. A person does not see his own faults. And the person is not going to be able to see the case properly. He's not going to be able to see the faults of the person he took money from. Perhaps we can suggest that if the person took money from both of them, so even though there's a balance that he, he has no reason to judge one more favorably than the other, but since you have this issue that a person becomes close to the party he took money from and he doesn't see a chayv, he doesn't see the negative aspects of the party took money from. So, bottom line, it may alter the case because if both parties, he doesn't see the negative on each side, it may cause him to overlook the fault of one of them and he's going to judge favorably on that side because based on the situation of the case, if he's not able to see all the negative and be on the lookout for every negative aspect of each party, it may end up causing him to judge one over the other because he missed something on the case. So even though he's, he's not intending in any way to find one more innocent than the other, but his inability to find guilt will automatically cause him not to see all the dimensions of the case. The Gemara comes out 
that even though shaykhad can be asr, even where one takes money from both of them, like we explained, that's only b'tayra shaykhad. That's only if it's accepted as shaykhad. However, if it's accepted b'tayras agra, it's accepted as payment for judging, then under certain circumstances, as we will see, it would be mutter. What is the difference? What does it mean, Taira Shaykhad versus Taira's Agra? So Rashi explains very interestingly that Taira's Shaykhad is Shalaytei You should not find me guilty if, in fact, I am innocent. Meaning, according to Rashi, even if the person is not asking for any obstruction of justice, he is just asking that the judge works hard to make sure that he is dealt with properly, that the judgment is done accurately. In such a case, it is still considered b'tayra shaykhat. It would only be mutter if it's b'tayra's agra, where the person's giving him the money to judge the, to judge the case for his tircha without making any mention of asking him to look well into the case on his behalf. The Gemara asks that even when a judge is being paid, not as shaykhad, just as agra, just as payment, it's still a problem. Because we learned in the Mishnah, someone who takes money to judge, his judge, judgment is going to be Bato. His psak is invalid. What is the reason for this halacha that a judge who takes money to judge his judgments are going to be bato? So the Gemara in Bechiris Al-Khaftas Amaralif explains the Isser of teaching is an Isser of teaching Taira for money. Because the Pasuk says, See that I taught you chukim, mishpatim, kasher tzivani Hashem alokai, just like Hashem commanded me, Maishu Rabbeinu tells Klal Yisrael, ma'ani b'chinam, afatem b'chinam. Just like I am for free, so too you are for free. What does it mean, ma'ani b'chinam, afatem b'chinam? So the rush over there in Bechiris explains that ma'ani b'chinam, just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu taught me for free, did not charge me anything. So too you learned from me for free. And the Gemara is saying that since Maishra Rabbeinu told Klal Yisrael that he taught them for free, so from here we learn out that every person who teaches someone else Taira is not allowed to charge. He's obligated to do it for free. The Ran and the Darim Andaf Lamed Zayin Amar Aleph learns slightly differently. The Ran is mashma that he learns Ma'ani Bechinam, just like I was told by Hashem to teach you for free. Afatem Bechinam, so to you should teach others for free. That you're not allowed to charge others when you teach them Taira. And the Gemara understands that judging somebody else is a gather of teaching Taira, and therefore it would be usher to charge for judging somebody. Since it is usher to charge for judging somebody, there's a knas over here, there's a fine over here, that dina betalim 
that even if he goes out and judges and violates his prohibition of mani bechinam atem bechinam, the judgments are going to be bata. The Gemara answers that Karna was not taking wages for for judging. He was taking what the Gemara calls agar betela, the money that he could have been making had he not been judging. So he's not getting paid. It's not considered he's getting paid for judging. He's being compensated for the loss of money that he could have been making during the time that he was judging. The Gemara asks that Agar Betela is also Aser, only Bidi Eved, if the person took money for compensation, the judgment would stand, as opposed to somebody who took money for the actual judging. But it's still Aser Lechachila, it's still Aser to take money as compensation for lost work, for lost money that the person could have made. So how could Karna have judged the case? And the Gemara ends up answering that there's a difference when it's muchach, when it's very clear to everybody that the judge could have been making money at that time. Karna was a wine tester, and everyone knew that. And since it was clear that Karna was being compensated for the lost money that he could have made, in such a case, it's mutter even l'chadchila to take such money. When is it aser l'chadchila to take money as compensation? That's only if it's not clear to people that there was a loss of money to the judge. So basically, we have a few different rules over here. Shaychad is always going to be aser, even from both parties. Agra, taking money, betiras payment, is aser, even, and even bidi eved, the judgment is going to be bato. However, if the, the judges are taking money as compensation for what they could have made otherwise, then it would be mutter as long as it's muchach, as long as it's clear to everybody that this judge had this ability to make this money. Taisvis on the bottom of Kofayim and Aleph asks a beautiful question. We learned earlier that the Geizre Gezeros Sheb Yushalayim Hayunaitlan Scharan so Tysus asks, Tysus discusses, how could the Geizek Zeris, how could these judges take money from the Chuma Salishka? What happened to this Isser of Mani Bechinam, Afatem Bechinam, that it's Asr to take money for teaching Tyra, for judging others? And Tysus answers with an important insight that these judges, the Geizek Zeris, was a full time job. And they would have no way to support themselves. They have no way to provide for their family unless they took this money. And that's not considered Tyrus Agra. That's not considered reward. They're not being paid for judging. They're just being supported to be able to live, to be able to support their family. This would also explain that the Gemara said earlier that if they took more than they needed, they would be considered Rishayim. According to Tysus, it's very good. Because taking more than they, they need to support their family, that already would be considered Tyrus Agra, that they're being paid for their job. And that would already be Rishayim. They're over the love of Mani Bechinam, Afatam Bechinam. It's only Mutter, Tysus saying, to take, to support themselves, to be able to live, and not as payment. Taisus and Bechiris and Avchav Tesam and Aleph over there writes Umashin Neigin Achshav Luma Tayer Bischar. Nowadays that it's 
customary that people teach Torah for money. So Taisa says, if the person has no way to support himself otherwise, it's mutter based on what Taisa is explaining over here, that that's not considered Tairas Agra. Taisus continues over there in Bechairas and says that even if the person being paid does have a way, does have money to support himself otherwise, and in such a case we don't have this heter really that we're paying him to be able to live because the person does have parnasa otherwise, Taisus says we could still have another heter for such a person because since the person is not involved in any business, because he's busy teaching Taira, so then it will be considered like Agar Betela Demuchach. It's just as good, Taisa says, it's better better even, the case of Karna, Karna who tested the wine, clearly was giving up that money. So even for somebody that doesn't have a set job, it seems from Taisis, but it's clear that if he would not be teaching Taira, he would be involved in other business, so that also could be included in an agra de betela de muchach. It's interesting, Tysus does not use this hatter to explain the geyser xerais shebi yushalayim. L'chaira, would also explain geyser xerais shebi yushalayim that one could suggest, since they were busy all day paskening, so therefore we could also say it's it's agra de betela de muchach that they're giving up doing anything else because they are busy um, teaching Tyra. If I may suggest that Rashi over here is mashma, that that's how he understands the heter for the geyser, geyser, gzero, shebi yushalayim. Because Rashi writes, Nailan scharan umisparatsen heimenu, that gets supported from the schar, lefi shalohaya sukin bimalachdan, because they are not busy with their own job. It would sound like from Rashi, that the heter of Geizek Zerais is not because they need the money to live, and that's not considered payment, that's considered support. Rather, Rashi's mashma that the heter is because they're not involved in their own work, along the heter of Karna, that it's betela demuchach. This Taisus over here that teaches that taking money for Parnasa to keep them afloat is mutter, and it's not a, a violation of mani bechinam, afatem bechinam. Kesef Mishnah brings on the famous Rambam and Hilchas Tamatayra, Perakimma, Halacha Yud, where the Rambam writes, Kalamesim aliba sheyaseb betayra, anyone who thinks to learn Tyra all day and not to do malacha and to take money from staka, harezachil as Hashem, he's machal, shem shemayim. And the Rambam writes that it's usher to do such a thing, and he brings the Mishnah in Perki Avais. That Lysasa Tarlis Gadabahem, that one should not use the Tyra as a crown to glorify himself with. And this Ram as well is found in Pirki Avais, in Parak Dalad, Mishnah Hay. The Rambam over there in Parish Mishnayas is Marach on this Indian, where the Rambam writes against people taking money to support themselves to learn Tyra. And the Kesav Mishnah over there writes against the Rambam that it is mutter for the person to take money. And he brings Argamara and Taisvis as a support to this Shita. And as the Kesem Mishnah explains, that even though the Mishnah says in Perki Avais, that one should not use Taira to, to, to make money, to receive honor, but there's a big difference when the person is learning Taira to make money, or the person is taking money 
in order to learn Tyra. The person's intentions, Dr. Kesev Mishnah, is not that he's looking to make money off his Tyra. He really just wants to learn Tyra. But Narvas, he has to take money and able, and able to support himself in order to be able to live. And that's not considered Mishtamesh Bekisra Shal Tyra. And, and like we're saying over here, that that's not considered taking Agra. It's not considered taking reward from learning or from teaching Tyra. Just one final ha'ara on this Gemara. The Brisa that we just learned that why do you need a Pasuk of Vishaychad Laisikach if it's for a case where there will be a clear perversion of justice, Shalai Lazakai Sesachai, Vishalai Lachai Vesazakai, that you don't need a Pasuk of Vishaychad Laisikach for. That we could already learn out from Laisata Mishbat. So it must be, the Brisa said, that even for a case where it's Lazakos is Azakai Lachayev is which a Gemara understands, like we explained earlier from the Pnei Yeshua, that even in a case where the judge takes the same amount of money from both parties, that's where you need the Pasuk of Vishaychad Laisikach. The Chavay Siyayr in Simen Kuf Lamed Vav asks Meir Dikakasha on this Gemara. He asks, that what's the Bryce's question of why do you need the Pasuk of Vishaycha Laisikach, that it must be coming to teach us a case where he took money from both of them, why didn't the Gemara give a simpler tarets? Why didn't the Gemara answer that if we would just have the Pasuk of Laisat and Mishpat, that one is not allowed to pervert justice? So that would be only Aser, the person would only be over the Lav, at the time that the person judges a person who took money from one person and he judges the case, then the person is over leisat mishpat. But what about in a case where the person doesn't end up judging the case? After he takes the money, he ends up changing his mind and he doesn't judge the case. Is he over the lava leisat mishpat? not? He never carried out any justice. Comes along the pasuk of leisikach that even mishas lekicha that even from the time the ter- person took the bribe, even if subsequently he didn't end up judging the case, he would violate the love of Vishaychad Laisikach. The Chavis Yara says, we find a precedent for such a pshat. The Gemara Mbamitziyah and Samachal from Abayz asks, why did the Tairaf Ta'asar changing your weight by dipping it into salt and making the weight heavier it's Stam Aser because of Laisigzal. You're stealing from the person, making him think that it weighs more than it does. And the Gemara answers that the Pazis is coming to teach us he's Iver Mishas Asiya, that even if he doesn't end up using the, the weight, but just for preparing such a weight that's fixed, he is going to be Iver the, the love of Mishkalis. So, Frek the Chavis why don't we say the same thing over here? The Chavis Yar does not answer this question, but it's clear that the Chavis Yar assumes, as he writes over there, that the love of Laisikach Shaychad, one is not going to be either until the Dayan actually paskins. And his kasha is, how does the Gemara know that? Why doesn't the Gemara say that the Pasuk of Shaychad Laisikach is coming to teach us that even in a case where the person does not end up paskining, he's still going to be over the love. The Taz in his Sefer on Chumash, Divrei David, Parsha Shaiftim, he also holds 
like the sheet of the Chavis Yoyer, that one is not over Leisikach Sheichar until he actually paskins, and he actually answers the Chavis Yoyer's Kasha. And he answers that since the Pasuk continues, that the reason the reason one is not allowed to take a bribe is because bribe blinds the eyes of the wise ones. It's mashma that in a case where the shaykha does not lead to a iver of ene pichim, it does not lead to the blinding of the judges because the judge never ends up paskining the case. In such a case, one is not over the love of the shaykha leisikach. Rav Yosef Engel in his sefer Gilyani Ashas argues on Chavis Yoyer and the Divrei David, and he says that it's Pumfakir. The reason why the Gemara doesn't answer that Leisikach Shaychad is coming to teach us that one is Iver Mishas Lekicha, even before he paskin, is because even the love of Leisata Mishbat, even the love of altering justice, altering the judgment to one person's favor, one is actually Iver before he even paskins. And he brings this from the Sefer Yireim in Simon Reish Gimel. The Sefer Yireim over there brings a Sifri that says, Laisata Mishpat, one is not allowed to change, lean the judgment to one person's favor. And the Sifri says that one, a person should not say that so-and-so is my relative, so-and-so is my friend, I'm not, how could I not help him? I have to do something to help him in the court case. And the person is over the love as soon as he says such a thing. Even though the person didn't do an action, even though the person did not end up paskining. That's what it seems clear from the Sefer Yireim. So therefore, Zakt Rav Yosef Engel, that Leisata Mishbat includes already doing something before the judgment that would cause the person to alter the case, even just saying that I have to help this person because he's my friend, etc. One is Iver Leisata Mishpat. Kol if the person would take a bribe, he would be Iver Leisata Mishpat. And that's why the Gemara over here has to say that Leisikach Shaychad is coming to teach us that even if he takes money from both of them, he's still over the love. Because you can't say it's coming to teach us Mishas Lekicha, because that the person would be Iver even from the love of Laisata Mishba. The Sayafais Ra'im over there on the Sefer Ra'im also says, like Rav Yosef Engel, and they both say the exact opposite of what we saw from the Chavis Yoyer and from the Taz, that Laisikach Shaychad, one is only Iver if he actually ends up judging the case. You have been listening to the Shiurim of Shas Illuminated. Shas Illuminated is a non-profit organization dedicated to broadening the learning of those studying the DAF worldwide. If you would like to make a donation or to dedicate a DAF or Masechta, please visit our website at shasilluminated.org or call 203-312-SHAS. You can also email us at shasilluminated at gmail.com.